This is Unstoppable with Zen Honeycut, episode 51. Why waiting for a vaccine before reopening is a terrible idea. Good morning, everyone. It's been a little while. It's been several days since I've done a podcast, and I do miss doing this. However, some mornings I wake up with inspiration to work on new campaigns that we're working on, and that's just the time to do it. Other mornings, I'm in quite a bit of pain lately, and sometimes I just need to get a little bit more rest, and it's tough to record a podcast once everybody else is up and awake. So forgive me today. Um, This is one of those days. It's a little bit later in the day and people are up and about and there may be background noise. I apologize for that. Uh, The the pain that I'm feeling, I, I believe I'll touch upon it in another podcast, but it's related, I believe, to taking Cipro and having tendon pain, um, as a side effect, side effect from the uh, antibiotic. And I think that's a whole nother podcast, but uh, just letting you know right now, that is not ideal to take any type of fluoroquinine antibiotic uh, because there are terrible side effects, which can be quite painful. So uh, I'll be fine. I'm working through it. But uh, this morning I wanted to address a very important topic. I saw last night that there is a restaurant in New York City. Very sad. It's a it's a beautiful restaurant. I've been there uh, several times. And they have decided not to reopen until there's a vaccine. I also saw that, I believe it was MasterCard, is not bringing back their employees um, until there is a vaccine or once there is a vaccine, they're going to require their employees to get it. And I wanted to touch upon this issue and share some information with you about why this is a terrible idea to wait for a vaccine before reopening so that you are armed to talk to your bosses or your, you know, your coworkers or anybody else who might be making decisions about this, any type of, you know, city employee or um, employee of a of a company that you know private company that makes decisions about this we need you to be armed with the information that will have them not make that decision that they will require all of their employees to get a va- vaccine because uh, they could I believe they could I don't know the legalities of that but it's uh, it's a terrible idea and I'm going to be using the information off my letter to Dr. Professor Hotez, which is on momsacrossamerica.org, on our blog. At the current time, it's the second blog down. But if you um, listen to this at a later date, it's the letter that's called, it's just called Letter to Professor Hotez. It's like hotel, but with a Z instead of Hotez, on vaccine education. And these are the issues that need to be addressed uh, I, and in this letter, I was saying that these are the issues that need to be addressed in order to communicate effectively with vac- with anti-vaxxers. But these are also the same exact, exact issues that make it a terrible reason for waiting to have a vaccine uh, before reopening. Now, I'm not going to address when one should reopen, but using the reason for a vaccine 
that waiting for a vaccine to reopen is not based on science. And I'm going to go through these reasons. That's not based on historical evidence. It's not going to be effective. So I'm going to give you those reasons so that you can talk to your your boss or decision makers at schools or whichever about, you know, about the vaccine and why this why this is a problem. Okay, so the number one reason is that the adjuvant ingredients, meaning the other ingredients beside the virus, right? Because they have to put a little bit of the virus, either live or dead, inside the vaccine in order to, you know, quote unquote, inoculate somebody in order for the body to recognize that little bit of the disease and then be able to fight it when it comes along again. That's the whole premise for vaccines. But there are other ingredients that they have put inside of these vaccines, many of them as preservatives or some of them to, you know, inform the body, you know, like this is, you need to attack this. And while you're attacking the aluminum, you might as well also attack the virus, right? So they use it to instigate the system to attack the the virus. Now, um, it's debatable whether or not certain things like aluminum or formaldehyde or squalene or polysorbate 80 and other toxins need to be in vaccines. Um, I believe they don't need to be, but um, there are there many of them are in vaccines. So these adjuvant ingredients are toxic. And aluminum, for instance, can't it can be up to 250 in one article I read 500 micrograms of aluminum in one vaccine. And even the FDA says that 25 micrograms is toxic. And so a baby is being exposed to 4,925 micrograms of aluminum uh, through vaccines, through the, you know, the CDC recommended schedule. So that's just too much. It's incredibly toxic. It's amazing that any babies are, make it through that entire system. So will this COVID-19 vaccine contain aluminum, formaldehyde, squalene, polysorbate 80? Will it be the amount of toxin, of aluminum or whichever toxin it is, that sort of is the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak, as far as our toxic burden? Because we human beings are being exposed to toxins every day, to pesticides and herbicides and preservatives and estrogen mimicking chemicals found in our shampoos and our lotion and fire retardants that are sprayed on the couches, formaldehyde that's coming off the cabinets. We're being exposed to thousands of chemicals a day. And that one chemical that puts us sort of over the edge, sort of makes the cup overflow is the one that can cause cancer or you know, it's, it's, and it's not that one chemical, it's actually the overflowing, right. Of all of those chemicals that go into our system and, and overburden our system and cause, you know, autism or cancer or, um, uh, MS or, you know, whatever these different types of autoimmune issues are and cause lifelong disease and debilitation. So will that, that amount that's in this vaccine be the one that will cause lifelong issues. It could be. So there's a problem with waiting for the COVID-19 vaccine because it will come with additional toxins, which could be the factor that puts an employee, 
you know, in the hospital. Getting this COVID-19 vaccine is going to harm people. That's just historically an accurate statement. There are people, many, many people that have been harmed from vaccines. This vaccine is not likely to be any different from the other vaccines in the sense of safety. It's going to actually be worse because they're skipping animal trials and they're skipping all kinds of safety studies that are going to be um, or would be you know, considered required in, in other, in other, um, cases. Okay. So the, there are also not just ingredients that are toxin, toxic, there are contaminants that are toxic. When we tested five childhood vaccines for glyphosate weed killer, this was years ago, every single one was found to be positive. Another scientist tested 14 of, of them and the majority, I think all but three of them were also positive. And the MMR vaccine, which, which is um, a live vaccine and has a lot of gelatin in it in order to keep the, the uh, virus live, had 34 times more glyphosate than the other vaccines, the ones that were uh, you know dead viruses. And we believe the glyphosate accumulated in the, the, the uh, gelatin because pigs that eat GMO grains sprayed with glyphosate with high levels of glyphosate, like thousand parts per billion of residues on the grains. And pigs eat that and the glyphosate goes into their tendons and there are animal studies proving this. And then those tendons are ground up to be gelatin and then the gelatin goes in the vaccine. So scientists believe that that's how glyphosate weed killer is getting into um, the vaccines. There are also other GMO ingredients in vaccines and so we are extremely concerned about the GMO ingredients and the possibility of glyphosate weed killer contaminating uh, these vaccines. And the problem with the glyphosate contaminating vaccines is that it breaks down the blood-brain barrier and allows toxins into the brain. And so if you have somebody getting a COVID-19 vaccine contaminated with glyphosate, it could break down the blood-brain barrier, allow that aluminum that we just mentioned that could be in the vaccine into the brain and cause Alzheimer's or autism or brain damage. Not a good side effect of a vaccine that they're not going to tell you about. So another reason, number three, the retroviruses uh, is a possibility. I don't know if this vaccine will, but other vaccines have contained retroviruses. One example from mouse, the mouse retrovirus, XMRV, and this was discovered by Judy Mikowitz. And you can look up articles on children's health defense if you want to find out more about that. And these mouse retroviruses have been shown to cause cancer. So waiting for a COVID-19 vaccine to open up your business so that your employees can get a vaccine that could cause cancer in them, not a great idea. Just not a great idea to risk your entire business and their livelihoods and their health for this un, you know, I don't, I can't say untested vaccine, but, um, in, in, uh, inefficiently, like not sufficient, unsufficiently tested vaccine. That's what it's going to be. I mean, they're already on the road for it to be inefficient, insufficiently tested. Okay. Number four, GMOs, early tester testing of CRISPR and RNA genetic manipulation has shown, shown thousands of off-target mutations. This is extremely concerning in relation to injections in pregnant women, newborns, and developing children. 
new attempts at CRISPR, a CRISPR vaccine with multi-generational effects are simply not proven to be safe and parents do not want their children to, to be the guinea pigs. So this vaccine by, I think it's called Moderna, yeah, Moderna, is um, from what I have seen from the reports going to be using CRISPR GMO um, manipulation. And that would mean that it the something would go into one of the cells, either either the, the small piece of the virus or whichever that is would go into the cells so that the next generation of people that y- you pass down your genes to and your your DNA are also supposed to be um, immune to the virus. So it's it's a nice idea. I mean, it would be great if any, you know, children that were born wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be able to get COVID-19. Um, but what are the ramifications of manipulating our DNA and inserting whatever be is being inserting into the cells so that it if it goes into, you know, future generations? What what's the repercussions of that? We know that these gene editing methods have caused thousands of off-target mutations. We know this. This is this has been shown time and time again in scientific studies by the industry. And our current our current USDA has chosen to completely ignore that. They are only looking at on-target mutations and uh, or on-target, you know, manipulations. And they're ignoring the off-target because they're saying, oh, they just they don't really matter. They'll go away. Well, you know, it matters. Let's just say a doctor wanted to take out one of your vertebrae in your spine, which is sort of what's happening in genetic, you know, manipulation when they take out a gene. Don't you think your shoulder muscles and your nerve endings and your leg muscles and everything else in your body will be affected because you're now missing a vertebrae? Absolutely. You can't do genetic manipulation without affecting the rest of the cell and this and the organism. It just doesn't happen. So having a, a COVID-19 vaccine with genetic man- manipulation happening inside of it that's untested is massively irresponsible and probably criminally neg- negligent regarding public health. It's just not a good idea to put your eggs in that basket, folks. Not a good idea for your employee to require you to get this vaccine before you go back to work with the risks that are involved. It's 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 massively negligent regarding public health. I, I can't say how big of a deal this is. It's these these vaccines are not going to be tested for long-term health effects. Who knows if a year, two years, seven years down the road, you get cancer because of the genetic manipulations and the off-target mutations in this vaccine. You won't know that this was the reason why, but that it could happen. The problem is, is that none of us know because there isn't sufficient testing. Okay. Number five, the number of vaccines. As many as uh, children, many of us received, if you're in your forties or fifties, you probably received about three or maybe seven shots, including boosters. And today's children receive 69 doses. That's 16 different diseases, 69 doses. If they follow the recommended CDC schedule. Some six-month-old babies receive six different shots containing nine diseases in one sitting. 
and they die or lose their bodily functions within hours or days. It's just too many for them. Now, what is this one more vaccine going to do? Is this additional vaccine, again, is it going to be the, the, you know, the one more ingredient that you pour into a cup and then all of the toxins overflow out of the cup and cause a total breakdown of the immune system in a human being? Do we really need one more vaccine? When 90-something percent of the people that get this disease recover, and entire countries like China and you know Italy, they're on their way to recovering without having a vaccine. So is waiting for a vaccine for something that's really only possibly going to support, you know, less than 1% of the population, is that really worth putting the the entire, you know, your employee staff, you know, over 90 something percent of your employee staff at risk with all these toxins to support that 1%? Now, I'm not saying the lives of that 1% are not important but I would prefer studying how to improve the immune systems of that 1% that is especially susceptible, the people with diabetes, the people with obesity. What is it that they can do to to have their immune systems be strong enough so that if they are affected by the disease, by the virus, that their systems can overcome it? I would assert that that would be a change in lifestyle and diet. And I have heard time and time again about people with diabetes, including my own mother, who have changed their diets, gone to eat. um, I mean, this is just, in, in her case, it was more vegetables, of course, all organic, everything. She switched everything to organic, more vegetables, small amount of meat but more more vegetables she her doctor had her go off uh, wheat um, although I believe she could probably eat ancient grains and be fine I think it's the gliadine and the glyphosate that's in the modern wheat that is the real problem but her her doctor had her go off of wheat eat a lot of vegetables and and fruits and um, not eat after I believe six o'clock and not eat again until maybe 10 or 11 so intermittent fasting. And she turns off all the EMFs. She doesn't watch TV till 10, 11 o'clock at night anymore. Um, and she's not exposing herself to EMFs nearly as much. And so she turns that off. I think it's she doesn't watch TV after 8 or 7 or something like that. I don't know. But she she has you know a couple hours of, of downtime before going to sleep without exposure to EMFs. And she's not eating late. She's not eating first thing in the morning. And she's eating a lot of vegetables, all organic. And, um, and much healthier foods and, you know, of course, you, you know, no sugar and processed foods and things like that. So, and she, within a couple of weeks, lost 20 pounds. I think it was maybe six or eight weeks, lost 20 pounds and is gone, has gone off her diabetes medication. I believe she's still working through some signs of pre-diabetes, but she's getting, incredibly better. I mean, it's been decades that she's been struggling with diabetes and and being overweight. And she tackled it in a couple of weeks with with care from a doctor that actually came into her house and checked on her and checked her food and checked what she was eating and, you know, that she was exercising and, you know, getting to sleep on time and turning the EMF. Like she needed 
to be handheld a little bit. She, he came and checked on her every other week. Usually he does every week, but she gave him a, um, he gave her a, a uh, break. And that's what people need. They need it to work for them. They need it to be cost effective and they need support and they need to be told, here's what to eat. You need to eat more of this and none of that or some of this. And so that's what we need from our doctors right now and from each other is support on how to to strengthen our immune systems through diet and exercise. And also perhaps I'm, I'm sure she took some supplements. I know she takes vitamin C and vitamin D. And the result of that was that her doctor told her, an 80-year-old woman, that she has the metabolism of a 56-year-old. Amazing. After only about six or eight weeks of diet change and lifestyle changes. So that's what we need in America right now. We don't need more drugs and more vaccines that have toxins in them. We need people to be supported to get better on their own with their own lifestyle choices. That's what we need. Okay, number six, lack of saline placebo testing. What's happening right now with the current uh, vaccine supply is that we people have asked, they've done Freedom of Information Acts to the CDC, and we've only come up with one study that we're currently aware of that showed a saline placebo test. You understand that when a drug is tested, um, they have they give the person the actual medication, and then they give a control group a basically a sugar pill, right? Like a placebo, a completely harmless, no ingredients, nothing that will do anything to the body. Um, and by sugar, I just mean, you know, it's, it's slightly, it's not a giant pill of sugar. It's just something that's slightly, um, it's innocuous, right? It's not harmful. So, and there's no ingredients in it that have anything to do with the actual drug that's being tested. However, with vaccines, they give the person, the other person a vaccine, they give them just a different vaccine. They don't give them a saline vaccine that doesn't have any impact on them. So they're testing vaccine to vaccine. They're not testing vaccine to a saline placebo. And that doesn't work. That's not a true scientific study. Because if both parties end up having, you know, rashes or um, nervous nerve damage, then the one that they're testing doesn't show to be any difference. There's no significant difference. So they can say in the testing, there was no significant difference. There was no, you know, nothing that was different from the control group. So therefore we consider it safe. When both of them, in fact, could be causing nerve damage, right? So it's not scientific to not test a vaccine with a double-blind saline placebo test, you know, run independently um, and long-term, you know, all of that, that's not scientific. So your employer waiting for a vaccine that has not been tested with independent double-blind saline placebo testing, uh, is simply not based on science. It's not based on that's, that doesn't show vaccine efficacy or safety. Okay. Number seven, the CDC board members, and ACIP members own 56 vaccine patents. The, I believe there's a conflict of interest there. And then, you know, you can get this whole Bill Gates thing involved, right? You know, pushing vaccines that he's invested in. That just is a conflict of interest, folks. It should not. And, and then on top of that, our taxpayer dollars are going towards this vaccines. 
these vaccines, the development of these vaccines, billions of dollars, if not trillions. And then these private companies get to sell these vaccines and our insurance companies have to pay, you know, a hundred bucks a pop or whatever. And so they make trillions of dollars off of our investment. So we're waiting for a vaccine that the American people have paid for that's not effective, could be a total overload of our immune system, has not been tested for safety and efficacy the way that um, it should be, most likely. It looks like that's how, that's the pathway that we're going down with the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, could have genetic ingredients in it that could give us multi-generational generational mutations and, and uh, disease and effects. And, and the people that benefit from it are the people who are pushing it on us, right? That's just, that's a conflict of interest, folks. Number eight, lack of efficacy. This is the biggest one, really. Historically, it's well known that flu vaccines have been between three to, in some cases, it's been reported, we don't know if this is true, but up to 50% effective. The vaccine in 2015 for the flu was only 19% effective. So that's been the average. It's been about 20% effective. That means that the flu, the virus that you are getting the vaccination for that year, only 20% of the time, it's actually the virus that that is being passed around that year. And the reason why is because the flu virus mutates and um every year they don't know which virus is going to be the one that is being passed around throughout, you know, through the general population population. So they don't know if the virus that they're inoculating you for is actually the same virus that you could be exposed to. So only 20% of the time is it actually effective. Now it's already been reported that in a few months, the COVID-19 virus has mutated 30 times. So the vaccine that they're working on right now is not going to be, I mean, with, and you can practically say this with almost 100% accuracy, but I would say I'm asserting that the virus, the, the vaccine they're working on right now is not going to be effective for the virus that human beings are going to be being exposed to in January. It's going to mutate. It has already, according to, you know, studies and reports from China and Europe and in the US, it's already mutated 30 times maybe even more. We don't know. So why are we going to be, you know, keeping our economy closed, waiting for this vaccine that is mutating before our very eyes, and we cannot develop a safe and effect, effective vaccine for a virus that has been muta- that mutates so many times? It just so far is not showing to be possible. So, um, that that this is the biggest thing. It's just not going to happen. And and there have been people who have tried to develop vaccines for coronaviruses in the past. There was one guy who tried to develop a coronavirus vaccine for cats because it can really affect cats, and he was unsuccessful. So it's a big farce. It's just like a giant misleading news story that these media people are pushing on America that we're waiting for a vaccine, waiting for a vaccine. I believe they're just trying to generate some type of hope. So that people who are maybe, you know, mentally unstable or just very sensitive or extremely concerned about what's happening right now don't go, you know, like off the deep end and commit suicide or um, start hoarding even more or, you know, take on more and more prepper 
like hoarding behavior because they're so afraid of getting a vaccine because it doesn't seem, I mean, they're so afraid of getting the disease because there isn't a vaccine in, in, in the future, right? That they, it's sort of like once you take away their hope, then they might do really erratic you know, you know, behaviors or take, take actions that uh, are really unsafe for the general public. So I believe they're just trying to suppress that this whole idea of there not being an effective vaccine because they're trying to maintain some normalcy in our society. So I would ask about homeopathic vaccines. They do exist, and I think that they could be effective, um, but I think the most important thing is to boost your immune system naturally through your, your food and your diet and your exercise and your supplements. So that's, that's, uh, that's really what needs to happen. Okay, number nine, lack of herd immunity. Seeing as the efficacy of many vaccines is far below the acceptable expectations, um, and many vaccines like pertussis with multiple boosters, which may actually be spreading the disease, there's evidence that the pertussis vaccine actually spreads after a, a vaccination. The ability to reach the concept of herd immunity, which means that 95% of the population would be vaccinated, is actually unreachable. Because if this vaccine is only 20% effective, even if they could identify, right, that a part of, I don't even know if you can identify part of a virus or, you know, a part of a virus which is um, familiar in many different viruses, you know, maybe they're trying to identify that, like there's a certain part of this virus which doesn't mutate, you know, it stays the same in all of the different varieties of that virus. If they could identify that and inoculate against that part of it, and it was only 20% effective for you know the people were, who got the virus, well then, even if you did vaccinate 95% of the, of the population with only a 20 to 30% eff efficacy rate, it wouldn't be effective. You know, Only 20 to 30% of the population would be immune. So that whole concept of of um, herd immunity is not going to happen, period. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So there's no sense in waiting for a vaccine to open up your business. And then number 10, mandates. This is probably the biggest one for most people. Um, people don't want to be forced to get a vaccine. They don't want to be forced to have, as uh, Alan Her um, Dershowitz said in the news, be forced to have a vaccine plunged into their arm at the doctor office. They don't want that. Uh, there will be societal unrest if it comes to that. There will people. There will be people that will uh, bring out their weapons and you know threaten people. And I mean, I just do not think that's going to go well. I have seen a lot of people demonstrating against uh, vaccine mandates for many years now, and. Uh, I would not go near them <laughs> with the vaccine. I'm telling you, I don't care if she's a five foot one mom with a baby on her hip or a 250 pound man protecting his family. If they do not want a vaccine, they are not getting a vaccine. And forcing them and mandating them to get a vaccine is not going to go well in this country. So waiting for a vaccine when a when 30% of the people have already said they are not getting the COVID vaccine, waiting for a vaccine to open up your business when at least 30% of the people have already stated that they're not going to get it is not a good idea. 
I mean, we're, we're talking, what are we talking about having 30% of our population on unemployment from now till whenever, the rest of time? Not sustainable. That is not sustainable for our society. So these are the reasons why we should not wait to open up our society for a vaccine. Now, if there are other reasons to not open up a, a business, you know, that's the business owner's choice. And while we're on this topic of COVID-19, I would like to put out there, I see a lot of um, images out there about um, masks and slavery, and, and I'm concerned. And I'm not just concerned because of the whole, whether a mask works or doesn't work. I'm concerned about the mentality of, of our population being in this world of victimhood. And I would like you to consider that if you have a mask on your face right now, that somebody else didn't put it on you. That if you choose to wear a mask when you go to a grocery store, that most likely you're the one that put it on yourself. So if you choose to wear a mask, that's your choice. If you choose not to wear a mask, that's your choice. And either way, there will be repercussions, right? Or there will be consequences or a result. There'll be a result. Either you won't be allowed into a grocery store or you will or not, right? That's It's your choice though. Nobody's going to put you in mask slavery. You can choose. And so I'd like people to, to really be respectful of other people, whatever they choose to do to wear a mask or not to wear a mask. I know for a while I was definitely wearing a mask because I thought I had COVID-19 and I didn't know if I still had it. I think I had it for six weeks or maybe even eight weeks. But the problem was, is that I would, I felt like I would get better and I would feel better for about four or five days. So I would go out to, you know, Home Depot, but because it had only been four or five days, I thought, you know, just in case I have it, I better wear that mask and gloves. Right. And so I did. And I was not being a sheep, right? I was not being a, I was not succumbing to, you know, medical tyranny. I was being precautious because I didn't want to get somebody else sick. And then lo and behold, the next day, all of a sudden the symptoms came back and I was like crashing. I was, you know, just so tired. And I don't want anybody else to have that. I don't want anybody else to experience what I went through. It was completely debilitating for practically two months. Like I, I was at probably only 25% of my capacity. I could work for a couple hours in the morning and then I was completely exhausted the rest of the day. And there was a time for about a week or two where I couldn't, I just couldn't work at all. I was so exhausted and, and sick. So just reconsider if you choose to wear a mask, that's your choice. If somebody else chooses to wear a mask, that's their choice. Please don't shame them. Please don't make this whole situation worse than it is. And please consider that if it is, you know, your choice to wear it, that it is, it could, it could mean for you or for somebody else, simply a matter of precaution for other people. It could mean, you know, that, you know, tyranny or slavery or whatever it is, but each person makes it mean what that, what it means to them, right? That each person has their own meaning about masks and that's their business. It's not anybody's else's business, right? So, 
just keep in mind if if whatever happens with this reopening and whether they require masks or not, you know, masks, whatever you decide to do is your choice. Okay? So my my intention is that you're empowered around your choice. And that's what's going to have all of us get healthier and get better is if we're focusing on the things that empower us, if we feel empowered, if we say, hey, it's my choice to grow more food right now, to eat more um, vegetables and drink green drinks and boost my immune system, those are things to focus on right now, how you can boost your immune system naturally. So I invite you to take that on, to boost your immune system naturally, to focus on the things that work in keeping you safe and your family safe that you know that you can do right now because waiting for a vaccine to reopen the society or to go out and you know into the world or to um, go about your business and and live your life fully is a terrible idea it just will not it's not working and it won't work and um and the money that the government is putting into it really is um a it's a waste because it's not historically, and, I, and I'm not one, like, I don't like to say that nothing's possible, right? But based on the scientific facts of what we've seen already, it's almost impossible to develop a vaccine that's going to work safely in the amount of time that they're talking about in which uh, businesses are waiting for, right, before they reopen. It's just it's just not based on science and and historical fact. So, okay, I think I've made my point. I appreciate you listening today and uh, ask you to really to focus on the things that are empowering. Remember that your it's your choice, what you do with your body. It's other people's choices, what they do with their bodies. Let's be kind, be nice to each other. Let's be supportive and let's focus on boosting our immune systems naturally right now so that we can get back to living our lives fully and happily and healthily and uh, with love and compassion. This is Zen Honeycutt reminding you to be unstoppable. Thank you.